0: we've been studying this for several weeks now, I think four weeks, right? We're in the fifth week of Esther, and um, we got two weeks left, and then we'll be finished with this book and moving on to some other things we're going to look at together. Uh, we talked that first week about how uh, Esther's story actually starts with King Xerxes' story and his failure with his wife Vashti, right? And how even though they're royal household, even though he's, uh, he's defeated his enemies, he's still vulnerable to failure in his own household, and we saw that with uh, Vashti and how, you know, he imbibed a bit with his friends and then said some things he regretted but could not can't, could not take them back, and so Vashti was dethroned. You know that story. Then we hear the story of Esther, the the namesake of the book, and how this uh, orphan slave becomes queen, and that is the impetus. She gets the book named after her. We know about the relationship with her cousin Mordecai and all those things. Mordecai comes into the picture a little bit in week three, right, where he hears this conspiracy to kill the king, and we're going to hear more about that today and how doing the right things in those little moments really matter later in life, right? We always want that instant gratification, but Mordecai, he hears a conspiracy and he reports it, and essentially he saves the king's life. Talked about conflict and then conviction, how Mordecai would not bow, would not bow to Haman, this kind of egomaniacal person in his life. Then last week we kind of dealt with Haman a little bit, right, where the queen starts her plan, and and we told that story, which I can't help but laugh, and it's not funny because it's gonna get really dark today, but. Uh, This is what the the, the king does for the man the king delights to honor, right? And he had to parade Mordecai around on the horse with the royal robes on saying, this is what happens to the man the king delights to honor. And we talked about how humiliation is actually an opportunity for us to grow as believers in Christ, right? Who gets ahead in this world, I asked last week. And so all those things we have now brought up this, this week, which is going to be the unfolding of Esther's plan, and the, the um, I told you she's been patient, she's trusted God, and now this whole plan is going to kind of open up before us this morning as we hear from God's word. And so with that in mind, I've asked Deanna Lenz to come forward and to read for us this morning, and she's kindly agreed. And we're going to start in Esther chapter 7, verse 1. I've never used an I can, I can one. hold it unless you want to <laughs> hold it. Either way.
1: No, Chapter seven, so the king and Haman went to dine with Queen Esther and as they were drinking wine on that second day, the king again asked, Queen Esther, what is your petition? It will be given you. What is your request? Even up to half the kingdom, it will be granted. Then Queen Esther answered, if I have found favor with you, O king, and if it pleases your majesty, grant me my life. This is my petition. And spare my people, this is my request. For I and my people have been sold for destruction and slaughter and annihilation. If we had merely been sold as male and female slaves, I would have kept quiet because no such distress would justify disturbing the king. King Xerxes asked Queen Esther, Who is he? Where is the man who has dared to do such a thing? Esther said, The adversary and enemy is this vile Haman. Then Haman was terrified before the king and queen. The king got up in a rage, left his wine, and went out into the palace garden. But Haman, realizing the king had already decided his fate, stayed behind to beg Queen Esther for his life. Just as the king returned from the palace garden to the banquet hall, Haman was falling on the couch where Esther was reclining. The king explained, Will he even molest the queen while she's with me in the house? As soon as the word left the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face. Then Harbona, one of the eunuchs attending the king, said, A gallow 75 feet high stands by Haman's house. He had made it for Mordecai, who spoke up to help the king. The king said, Hang him on it. So they hanged Haman on the gallows he had prepared for Mordecai. Then the king's fury subsided. Chapter 8. That same day, King Xerxes gave Queen Esther the estate of Haman, the enemy of the Jews, and Mordecai came into the presence of the king, for Esther had told how he was related to her. The king took off his signet ring, which he had reclaimed from Haman, and presented it to Mordecai and Esther appointed him over Haman's estate. Esther again pleaded with the king, (coughs) falling at his feet and weeping. She begged him to put an end to the evil plan of Haman the Agagite, which he had devised against the Jews. Then the king extended the gold scepter to Esther, and she rose and stood before him. "'If it pleases the king,' she said, "'and if he regards me with favor, and thinks it the right thing to do, and if he's pleased with me, let an order be written overruling the dispatches that Haman, the son of Hamadatha the Agagite, devised, and wrote to destroy the, destroy the Jews in all the king's provinces. For how can I bear to see disaster fall on my people? How can I bear to see the destruction of my family? King Xerxes replied to Queen Esther and to Mordecai the Jew. Because Haman attacked the Jews, I've given his estate to Esther, and they've hanged him on the gallows. But now write another decree in the king's name in behalf of the Jews, as seems best to you, and seal it with the king's signet ring, for no document written in the king's name and sealed with his ring can be revoked. At once, the royal secretaries were summoned. On the 23rd day of the third month, the month of Sivan. They wrote out all Mordecai's orders to the Jews and to the satraps, governors, and nobles of the 127 provinces stretching from India to Kush. These orders were written in the script of each province and the language of each people, and also to the Jews in their own script and language. Mordecai wrote in the name of King Xerxes, sealed the dispatches with the king's signet ring, and sent them by mounted couriers who rode fast horses, especially bred for the king. The king's edict granted the Jews in every city the right to assemble and protect themselves, to destroy, kill, and annihilate any armed force of any nationality or province that might attack them, their women, and children, and to plunder the property of their enemies. The day appointed for the Jews to do this in all the provinces of King Xerxes was the 13th day of the 12th month, the month of Adar. A copy of the the text of the edict was to be issued as law in every province and made known to the people of every nationality so that the Jews would be ready on that day to avenge themselves on their enemies. The couriers riding the royal horses raced out spurred on by the king's command and the edict was also issued in the citadel of Susa.
0: pray together. Uh, Father God, we thank you so much for your word and the power that it holds for our lives that we might be shaped by you, shaped by your word, shaped by your truth. And ultimately, Father, we ask that you would be our teacher today, that we would learn from you, and it would not be um, man-made anything, Father. We we are not interested in the wisdom of man because we have realized that we are lost in that. But, but Father, a, a path forward in your truth. So would you lead us today through your word? Would you do what you promised to do, which is when we ask to fill us with your Holy Spirit, that we might understand the things that you would teach us, that it would not be up to us, but your... Um, ability to instruct our hearts and our minds and reshape us into the image of you, our maker. And as we do this, this work, may you be glorified among us. Uh, may we rightly loose our tongues for praise to you and join all the saints of all time in worshiping together. We thank you so much for the, what you're going to teach us today, and we pray you would do it well uh, for your glory and for the good of your people. We ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen great job. Thanks for reading. That was wonderful. Uh, so yeah, so now we hear the plan of Esther unfold, right, before our eyes. And I don't know if you're like me, but when you when this began, it's like, are we ever going to get there? And you think, you know, the question that Mordecai asks is, how do you know that you're not appointed for such a time as this, is the pinnacle of the book. And yet now we actually hear the fulfillment of Esther's desire of her wishes presented to the the king. But in thinking through um, uh, Esther's life, I, I wanted to think about this question Do you ever wonder, have you ever wondered, why is this happening to me? Have you ever had that thought, right? Like it's almost ubiquitous amongst humanity, no matter if you're believing or not, that you would say, here's a simple question Why me? Why me? I remember recently I was talking to someone and they said, if anything bad is going to happen, it's going to happen to me. Of all my friends, I'm the least lucky friend. And I was kind of laughing like, no, I'm serious. Everything bad happens to me. And that begs a question, why? Here's another question we often ask. uh, Why do bad things happen to good people? as if the bad things should only happen to the bad people, and as if there are good people anyway, <laughs> right? Like, who are we? I've heard this question uh, inverted on itself by faithful believers to say, why not me, right? Why not? But there's a question in here that begs a deeper calling of our souls. Why did this happen to me quickly evolves, or maybe devolves, I think evolves, into why did the Lord let this happen? Happen to me, if you're a believer, or whether you're a or not, why did God cause this to happen to me? Now you've got a deep conversation about the experiences of our life and what that looks like. Well, we find Esther here on the day that God had made for her, her day, and the day that she was going to implement her plan. We left a uh, when we left, Mordecai had just come off of this, or not Mordecai, but um, Haman had come off of this kind of humiliating day, having to bring attention to Mordecai, right? But he is also on the heels of the first day of a banquet. And the very last thing that the word said last week was, so Mordecai went away and was carried off, uh, um, I'm sorry, was, was taken to the, I'm going to find it here, yeah, while he was still speaking, the king's eunuchs arrived and hurried Haman away to the banquet of Esther that she had prepared for him. So this is day two of the banquet she had asked for. And so we're going to pick up there, and we heard what was said. That, uh, so the king and Haman went to dine with Queen Esther for the second day. And you recall that day one, Haman came out on top of the world, right, until he saw that Mordecai who would not bow, and he couldn't enjoy it. And then he had gone home and been influenced to build this 50-foot pole to hang Mordecai on. And then he had to walk around and point to Mordecai all day. This is what the king does for the man he delights to honor. So now this is going to day two, and I don't know. I want to be sympathetic to Haman and wonder what was he thinking day was going to hold. Because he had gone from this like really euphoric high. He was the king's right-hand man to now things are going badly for Haman says this, as they were drinking wine on that second day, so they're imbibing on wine, again, this is off to a good start, right? The king asked, Queen Esther, what is your petition? It will be given to you, and what is your request? Even up to half the kingdom, and we know he's prone to these kind of big ideas, like I'm gonna do, I'll do I'm will do. i lavish, I'm rich, I'll do anything you want, just to show that I can. And twice before, the queen has demurred at that point. The first time, when he was, she was first before him, and she said, let's come to a banquet. And the second time, after the first day of banquet, she said, just come tomorrow. I told you that she's not just teasing him, she has a plan. And in her wisdom, in the third day, she makes her petition known. Verse three says this, the queen, then Queen Esther answered the king, if I have found favor with you, O king, and if it pleases your majesty, grant me my life. The queen begging the king for her very life. Not only that. She goes on. This is my petition. And spare my people. This is my request. And so she's like, grant me my life and grant me my people. That's what I want. Now, I want to think about this for a moment from King Xerxes' perspective. He does know from the text who Mordecai is, that he's a Jew, because he says, like, go get the Jew Mordecai and celebrate his, you know, his, his favor from the king. But he does not yet know who the queen is, nor her own lineage. So when the queen comes and she says, spare my life, well, he has, hasn't he? He gave her the scepter, and she bowed and touched it, and she could have been killed right there, right? So he's already spared her life. But then she says, and spare the life of my people. She makes these two bold requests for the king. She makes them after two days of a banquet celebration that was thrown in the king's honor, and as I told you, with Haman as the royal guest, right? The guest of honor, if you will. This is my request. For I and my people have been sold for destruction, the queen, and for slaughter... And for annihilation, these words are going to come back around in a moment. And if we had merely been sold as male and female slaves, I would have kept quiet because no, no such distress would justify bothering the king. So we're going to come to that in a moment. But here's the first thing I want you to know. And this is one of those things about, because I said, we want to look at Esther for how it is, but then what it means for our life, right? Practical teaching from the scriptures. And here's what I want you to know, that it's okay to ask for what you want. It's okay to ask for what you want. I know too many people who, you say, what would you like to see happen? They're like, oh, I don't want to be, you know, I don't be selfish. I don't, I don't want to worry about that. And, and sometimes we're so afraid to actually ask what we want, we never get the words out. Oh, what would you like to see happen? The, the queen, when she gets here, Queen Esther, she finally gets to this point where she says, and this is the moment I'm going to make my request to the king. I'm going to tell him what I want. I want my life to be spared, and I want the lives of my people to be spared. Now, she doesn't say that. She says, and my people. I want you to give me my people, right? But there's an implication there that their lives are also in danger. And she says that. We've been sold to be annihilated, to be killed and destroyed, wiped out. You remember that Mordecai was mourning in the streets because of this edict that the king had granted to Haman to destroy all the Jews living in the land. And so she comes and she makes this request known: "Let my people live and let me live also." I wonder why we aren't comfortable asking for things that we want. And I want to say this maybe, especially as Christians, why are we uncomfortable asking for what we want? Are we afraid that we serve a God who will not be kind to us in our request? I went to look in Scripture because there's a question. I'm like, "I've heard this before. I've heard this before. What, what do you want? What's your request? And you know where I heard it from was Jesus. <laughs> Jesus, when he, when he was first, in, early in the Gospel of John, John chapter one, he was walking in. Some disciples heard he was the Lamb of God. They're following him, and he stops walking, and he says, what do you want? And, and, and they say, well, where do you live? Where are you going? And he says, come, and you'll see. He invites them right along, right? He answers, hey, ask him. I mean, think about that. There were people there with John when they said this is the Lamb of God, and they don't, they don't ask the question. They don't follow him. They don't, they don't answer Here's another one. This is uh, from, I think, a gospel of Matthew or Mark, and it's when Jesus encounters a blind man, and and the man cries out to Jesus, and Jesus gives him his attention and says, what do you want to a blind man? And and I would think, well, isn't it kind of obvious? (laughs) But it's not, is it? He could have wanted a bunch of things. But instead, in that moment, he said, Lord, that I might see made his request known, and guess what Jesus does? You can see, because he asked. Oh, one more, one more. Peter's going through the gate called Beautiful, and the guy asks for a coin, and Peter can't give it. He says, gold and silver I do not have, but what I have I will give you. Get up and walk, and the man's healed for asking, for putting his hand out. See, sometimes we're too afraid, and this is one of those things in our lives, and we ought to learn from Esther that it's okay to ask for what we want when we're before the king. It's perfectly okay. Now I'm talking specifically about prayer life here. It's okay to ask for what we want. The, the, um, my favorite life verse, by the way, is Matthew 7 7, which says this um, Ask and it will be answered, seek and you will find, knock and it will be open to you. I've always loved that verse. Ask the question. Seek what you're looking for. Knock. And then in 7-8, it says, because everyone who asks is answered, everyone who seeks finds, and everyone who knocks, the door is open. Isn't that interesting? But maybe you're like me, and you're like, don't you get annoyed with people who always ask for what they want, and then they get it? (laughs) Do you know people like that in your life? They just just say the thing they want, it's ridiculous. You're like, that's ridiculous. Why would you say that? And, And then they get it, right? Go to a restaurant, you know, uh, we're going to set you over here. You know what, can I have that table by the window? Oh, sure. You're like, what? We were supposed to be, at... you just ask and you get that table by the fireplace? Who likes those tables, huh? Why are we afraid to make our requests known? Okay, let's take it out of the world into the world of our God, our Heavenly Father. Why are we afraid to ask him for things? You know where I get the greatest model for this? Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. The night before he's crucified, he takes his disciples and he says, Hey, come pray with me. And in that moment, he says, stay here, I'm going to go over here and I'm going to pray. And he prays this prayer that's so radical because it's Jesus, the very Son of God, that he says this, I do not want this cup. If there's another way, let this cup pass before me. Jesus, the night before he's betrayed, he's like, I don't want this. If there's some other way, make that the way. Well, if you've been around a while, though, you know he follows that up with the, a key term, but not what I want, what you want. But it's it's okay to let our requests be known to God. And it's okay here, and it's actually great that Esther made her request known. What if she kept postponing? What if she kept demuring? What if she thought, not yet, not yet, and never was able to be set free? That'd be a tragedy. Well, she goes on then, and she's, after she makes this request known, she says, um, uh, if it were only, and this is radical, she says, if it had merely we were sold into slavery as male and female slaves, I would have kept quiet about it. I, I think we can learn something here and it's subtle, but uh, we, we ought to keep good perspective in life. The person that said to me, everything bad happens to me, right? I have all the bad luck, but I'm talking to them and they're doing pretty well. <laughs> it's kind of a good day, actually. We ought to keep some perspective on the things of our lives. Have you ever had that day where you're like, you're like, you know, just, ugh, you know, of course this happens. And it it can be the most minor thing, right? The silliest thing. And we just go, my whole day's ruined. Uh, You know, the coffee spilled. (laughs) I get that moment. I remember one time I was driving my car to work, and I was taking a drink of coffee, and I was in traffic, and then all of a sudden I, like, cough, sneeze, you know, and it went everywhere. And as I'm driving, I'm like, oh, of course. You know, the coffee's running down the windscreen of the car. Great. I'm to clean it. How big of a deal was that, really? Really? We gotta keep some perspective. Queen uh, Esther says, if I had only been sold into slavery, by the way, why would she not be freaked out by that? Oh, because she's been there before. But this was serious. And she needed a savior. And she went to the king, knowing he had the power to set her free. Elevating things that are worth elevating. I would say this, that we can uh, discern the, the importance of our own desires or requests. We can, we can, modif- we can check those things in our spirit. The, the word perspective actually means to get a good view of it, to get a, a good location. It's actually used when you use binoculars, right? It's not looking at the immediate, it's looking down the road. This is this gonna be a problem in a minute? Not right this, this crisis. And Esther saw this was a problem down the road for her and her people and needed the king's intervention. I think it's wild that she says, I wouldn't even bother you if it was just slavery. I've done that before. But this is important. And so I bothered the king with this important request. Um, One final touch there on that. I don't want you to ever think as a believer in God or in Christ that you're bothering him with your requests. I don't think that's true at all. I was talking to somebody this week and they said, uh, you're probably not gonna agree with my model of prayer but I just talked to Jesus and I'm like, I love your model of prayer. I mean, you can do more than that. You can, you can fold your hands and bow your knees. You can do these things absolutely hundred percent. But I, I think that God is pleased when we come to him with our things of life, even the minor things, or maybe especially the minor things and get some perspective. Well, King Xerxes then asks Queen Esther, who is he? Who is the man who has dared to do such a thing? And by the way, not even remembering that he's the one that made the order, right? Like he, he told Haman, don't worry about the money, just go do the thing. And I told you he's not paying very close attention to his ruling, his kingship, or the things he's doing in the world. And Esther says this, the adversary and the enemy is this vile Haman. Now, I want to just... For a second, realize again, day two of a banquet, (laughs) the queen's throwing a party. (laughs) Remember what Haman said the night before? And I, of all the people in the kingdom, was invited to the party with King uh, Xerxes and Queen Esther, right? And now all this moment comes piling down on Haman, weighing down on him, this vile Haman, What? The one who's been laughing with you and dining with you. He's been conspiring to kill me. And here's the key, by the way. He doesn't even know it. See, he doesn't know that Queen uh, um, Esther is part of the enemy in his mind. Just that Mordecai. And in this moment, the whole world collapses. Here's a little stopping point here. It's important that we know... And name our enemy. Isn't that interesting? There comes a time the request is made. The king says, who? Who's bothering you? And she names him like that. This one. This vile Haman is the one. Why would it be important that we know and name an enemy in our lives? Because as I think about this, there's probably three mm, general categories, we could say, of enemy. And we're gonna unpack this a little bit. But the first is someone else, right? Someone external to us. They are the problem, right? And you can say that. But here's the second thing. Sometimes, you ever heard that saying, we are our own worst enemy? It's me. I'm the problem. And it's important in our talking to God to recognize that. Yeah. One of my favorite songs is um, um, Jimmy Buffett's Margaritaville. Margaritaville. And that's a song about progressive sanctification. Do you know that? Because at the beginning he says, it's somebody's fault. And by the end, he goes, It's my own dang fault. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) Like he has an epiphany. (laughs) This this problem with margaritas is my problem. No one's making me do this. Isn't that interesting? There's no enemy imposing this. I'm choosing it. And that's important to recognize, isn't it? And then the third, and we kind of alluded to earlier, is we think God is the enemy. We proclaim God as our enemy. Shake our fists at the sky. How dare you do this to me? I I would think, you might think, well, you shouldn't do that, right? Oh, you shouldn't do that. But at least it's honest. At least it's honest. We're misunderstanding, I believe in that moment, but at least it's honest in how we feel that it's God. We have people who think that, uh, you know, if I could just get these people out of my life, it'd be so much better. All these people are causing me problems or or here's one that's it's good in Christian circles. It's the devil, man. It's the devil. The devil's after me. And and I believe the devil is after us, right? But but I don't think that us running around saying the devil's after us is always gonna solve the problem. (laughs) It's who we go to, right? Our own habits and choices are keeping us exactly where we do not need to be. And here's the thing about us seeing God as the enemy is in those moments, he's trying to move us through that place into his kingdom, and we shake our fists and say, how could you? And he's saying, I'm trying to save you. I'm not your enemy. I'm your king. I'm inviting you. That's why I love that idea of shaking our fist at God is like, because at least we're having an honest conversation and God can deal with us when we're being honest. Honest with ourselves and honest with him. Well, the king reacts to this, right? He hears Haman. It says this, then Haman was terrified before the king and queen. Now there's power in the room. And the king gets up in a rage and leaves his wine. So he must have really been mad, right? And he went out into the palace garden. But Haman, realizing that the king had already decided his fate. Why would Haman know his fate already? Because he's dealt with this king before, right? The rage. As a matter of fact, Haman had that rage in him. Remember, when Mordecai wouldn't bow. And he felt that. I want to kill him and all his people. And now he knows that he is the recipient of that same kind of terror, that same kind of anger or of judgment. He left his wine, went out. Haman, realizing the king had already decided his fate, stayed behind to beg Queen Esther for his life. I say here, like, oh, how the the turns have tabled. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Like... It was just a moment ago that he was hoping that Mordecai would be begging for his life. Just a moment ago, he's going to have all this power, and now he's the one going, oh, I'm going to die. I've played, I've overplayed my hand. Mm -mm. And he stays behind the the queen for his life. Now, get this, and this is one of those moments where, again, God's timing, I say it's hilarious, but here it's tragic, and it really is. It says, just as the king returned from the palace garden, and we don't know how long he was gone, we don't know how long that Haman was in there trying to say, Queen Esther, please, Queen Esther, please, please, Queen Esther, don't do this, knowing full well he was intent on slaughtering all the Jews, especially Mordecai, who he doesn't know is her cousin still yet. And, and, and uh, the king comes back from the palace garden. And this is what he sees: Haman falling on the couch where Esther was reclining. A couple of thoughts here, right? There's this idea of her being relaxed in her domain. This is her banquet. She's this is her party. But when the king walks in, he sees Haman, and he says, "Will you molest the queen?" Now we know what that looks like. We can guess. Maybe he was touching her feet. Please, Queen Vashti, please or please, Queen Esther, please, please don't do this to me. Maybe he was touching her. Good job. Touching <laughs> touching this Is my beard? Yes, it is. <laughs> Maybe he was touching her, her knees or doing some supplication. Maybe he was on the ground next to it, but in a, a moment of anger and rage, when the king comes back, he sees her him, you know, handling his bride and he says, Are you serious right now? And it's gone from bad to worse. There's a verse in here that's really radical, and I'm like, what does that mean? The word says this. Well, the king exclaims, will he even molest the queen while she is with me in the house? Meaning like you have no standards at all. And as soon as the word left the king's mouth, they covered his face. There's been a lot of talk about that. Why then? Who are they? And why is his head covered or his face covered? There's lots of uh, thoughts. One of the thoughts is in the Persian kingdom, when the king was done looking at you, he was done looking at you. He didn't want to see you again. Here's another idea. And you were never allowed to see the king again. You have viewed him for the last time. Woo! And it was in wrath. Your days are over. you're, You're a dead man walking. And that's what happens in that moment. That these series of unfortunate events stack up to the moment that that Haman is cut off from the king. They cover his face. Then Harbona, one of the eunuchs attending the king, said, listen to this, a gallows 75 feet high stands by Haman's house. It had had been made for Mordecai, who spoke up to help the king, right? And the king said, hang him on it. So they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. There it is again. The turning of the tables then the king's fury subsided here's another reality is this the traps that we set can end up trapping us isn't that funny haman had this big plan he's moving the chess pieces around the board he's going to make his big play He's going to have his way. And everything that he had done, every conversation, every hard hearted moment, every moment of indifference toward the people around him, every moment of egotistical lunacy of his life had compiled into his perfect destruction. In so much that the night before, the gallows he had ordered built were built for him, and he didn't even know it. He didn't know he was building his own demise. We ought to be careful when we're doing that. Practically, what what, what am I talking about, right? Well, I'm not building a gallows outside of my house, right? Like, that's a bad idea, you know? What's going on practically, though? How about when we judge someone else quickly? Snap judgment, right? Say things, oh, like, those people. You know, those people, right? In, In safe company, we pass judgment so quickly. We, we judge a book by its cover. We, we don't wait and see the holy inside, and we just press through in this fast-paced life, disregarding all that God is doing around us. I told you earlier that there's a revival happening in Kentucky, but the revival's happening everywhere. If you can see it, when we judge, when we draw out punishment, here's a problem. Someone harms us in this world, and we say, make them make them pay. How much? There's not enough. I hurt so much. There's not enough pain in the world. Make them pay, right? But do we realize that we may be building our own destruction, that there is no satisfaction in this? The pound of flesh we demand might be a pound of our own why am I saying these things? Like, where, where does this come from? Come on, you're making much of nothing here, right? This raise that consumes us is unpacked in a prayer that Jesus teaches us to pray. He, he says something radical and The disciples say, how should we pray? He says, pray like this, right? And then he says, toward the end of the prayer, let's say, our Father, right? Who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Holy is your name. Your kingdom come, you'll be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses, As we forgive those who trespass against us. That's one version, right? Uh, There's another one. It's um, forgive us our debts. As we forgive our debtors. Those who are indebted to us. Wait, wait. As we forgive trespassers. As we forgive debtors. Do you know what Jesus actually said in the Gospel of Luke? Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Ooh, that's a dangerous prayer. That's a dangerous prayer because you're saying to God, judge me the way I've judged the world. Have have compassion and mercy on me who have had compassion and mercy on the world. That's a dangerous prayer. And Jesus said, you want to know how to pray to the Heavenly Father about his kingdom come here on earth? This is how you do it. Forgive us the way we forgive others. People say to me, uh, I know I'm a Christian, I have to forgive. You don't have to, but boy, you're gonna be miserable. Make them pay for how long and how much until you're satisfied, until I'm satisfied. It's a dangerous prayer. So we have the queen, and Haman's been judged, um, cut off from the king forever. It's a tragic moment. It's a tragic moment I have a hard time saying ha ha at Haman as vile as he is because it's a tragic moment of his demise the King says hang him on it verse 10 so they hanged Haman on the gallows he prepared for Mordecai and the kings Fury subsided. We're going to come back to that, but we'll move on for now. Verse 1 of chapter 8. That same day, King Xerxes gave Queen Esther the estate of Haman, the enemy of the Jews. And Mordecai came into the presence of the king because Esther had told him how he was related to her. So this is the first time that the king understands who Mordecai is. For all of his favor and all of Mordecai's good choices, this is the first time he recognizes, oh, you're my bride's cousin and raised her as her father. Right? Big revelation there. Um, The king took off his signet ring, which he had reclaimed, taken back from Haman, and he gave it to Mordecai. And Esther appointed Mordecai over Haman's estate. So a couple things here is that uh, the king gives Esther the estate of Haman, and and then Esther lets Mordecai rule it. Right. And he gets the king's signet ring. You'll recall he already has had this experience of having the king's robe on and riding the king's horse they used in battle. And now he's given the signet ring of the king. So here's, here's something else that we see here, and it's in the text, is this, that true victory reclaims enemy territory. That the very thing that others meant for evil in the world are turned to good. And this is a deep and real and uh issue or part of our life as Christians. I think sometimes we're satisfied to say, I'm just gonna stay away from there, I've left that behind, but I don't think that that's the true fulfillment of redemption in Christ's name, it's freedom in those same places. That means that when we talk about forgiveness, it's it's this idea that, um, have you been harmed? Yes, but God will walk you in freedom through the areas you've been harmed. Does that make sense? Have you been through hard things? Yes. But God will walk you with freedom through the things that have been hard for you. There's a radical uh, reformation, um, redemption story of our lives that God is not satisfied to say, the battle's over, ignore it, forget what happened. He never says forget. He does say forgive. And he calls us to freedom. Isn't it interesting that all that Haman had built for himself was given to his enemy in this moment of the king's judgment, in the moment of the king's favor and at the very places that he would have been most afraid to tread was the very places that uh, Mordecai was able to rule. That's interesting to me. True victory claims enemy territory. The enemy hopes to threaten us off of the land, but it belongs to the Lord, so we ought not be afraid We read from Joel this morning. I actually had a verse from Joel I want to share with you. Joel 2.25 says this. God promises, I will restore to you all the years the lotus have eaten. Wow. We see this repeatedly in the biblical text. That God is not interested in just saving us, but in redeeming us and making our lives full and free. And all we have to do is walk with him in those areas. Father, would you walk with us? In these ways, we, we walk with him. Verse 3 changes a little bit here. Esther again pleads with the king, falling at his feet and crying. And she begs him to put an end to the evil plan of Haman the Agagite. Remember King Agag, which he had devised against the Jews. Then the king again extended the golden scepter to Esther and she rose and stood before him. So the queen knows the work isn't done and she goes again and she's like, the work isn't done yet. I need a new edict. I need a new promise made by you for this land. Verse five, here's the request. If it pleases the king, she said, and if he regards me with favor and if he thinks it right to do and if, he ple- if he's pleased with me, let an order be written overruling the dispatches that Haman, son, son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, devised and wrote to destroy the Jews in all the king's provinces. Now, he knows at this point that the queen is a Jew. He knows about Mordecai and he knows about all these things. He'd be reminded, right? But I want you to see the qualification. She said, first of all, if it pleases the king, if you like this idea, Lord, let's do it. Secondly, if you regard me with favor, if you're willing to listen to me. Third, if you think it's the right thing to do. And then fourth, if you're pleased with me, if I've not betrayed you, if I've, if I've been faithful to you, will you do this thing that needs to be done? She says then this, for how can I bear to see disaster fall on my people? How can I bear to see destruction of my family. And and here's another point. Our concerns ought to be bigger than our own salvation. I want to say it again. Our concerns ought to be bigger than our own salvation. Two ways I see this kind of broken in the church. The first is this. Do you you believe in God? Yeah. I remember that one time at church camp, I said that prayer. I'm a believer. Okay. I mean, yeah, maybe, right? Do you believe in God? Do you believe in Jesus Christ? Yeah, yeah, yeah. i, I, I go to church. I go to church every Sunday, man. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Here's another way it's kind of weird. It's like, you know what? I'm saved. The world can go to hell. Have you ever heard somebody say that? Oh, he don't mean us. She don't mean us. They mean those people. Forgive us our sins as we forgive the sins of others. Standing before a holy and righteous God, listen, I'm sure it wasn't you, but it ought not to be us. Our concerns should be bigger than our own salvation. She has an automatic response. She's been preserved. Mordecai has Haman's property. All the things in her household are taken care of, and she says, but it's not enough. We need an edict for all the people. We need a way, a path forward for everyone to be saved. I love that. I love this model from Esther. Our concerns should be larger than ourselves. We ought to have a mind bigger than our own little problems. What is God doing in the world? What is his hope for the world? Who is God saving? Just us? Just people like us? How can I bear to see the destruction of my people? How can I bear to see the destruction of my family? We're gonna wrap up here. King Xerxes replies to Queen Esther and Mordecai the Jew. Because Haman attacked the Jews, I have given his estate to Esther and they have hanged him on the gallows. Now write another decree in the king's name on behalf of the Jews as it seems best to you, right, they're writing it, and seal it with the signet ring that he gave to Mordecai for no document written in the king's name and sealed with his ring can be revoked. Now this is interesting, right? Because that... Begs a question: Could the previous order be revoked? Just take that off the table, right? I want to set this up properly because next week it's going to be a mess. Queen Esther, the Book of Esther, gets it's a mess next week. He makes a new order because sealed with his ring, because no order of the king can be revoked. At once, the royal secretaries were summoned. On the twenty-third day of the third month, the month of Sivan, they wrote out all Mordecai's orders to the Jews, to the satraps, the governors, and nobles of the 127 provinces, stretching from India to Kush. And the orders were written in the script of each province and in each language of each people, and also to the Jews in their own script and their own language. So everyone knew. And I want to get to the point of, of what uh, he's, he's getting to here with the second order. This is what the word says. Mordecai wrote in the name of King Xerxes, sealed the, the dispatches with a signet ring, and sent them by mounted counselors who rode fast horses. Especially bread for the king. Okay, 11. The king's edict granted the Jews in every city the right to assemble. That's the first thing. They could get together, they could worship. This is an ongoing battle for the people of God that we have the right to gather and worship. That's the first promise made in this edict. The second thing, they have the right to protect themselves. And it's, and it's articulated to destroy, kill, and annihilate any armed force of any nationality or providence that might attack them, their women, and their children. They have the right to defend themselves. They have the right to defend others. That's the right the king gives them, right? And this starts to beg the question about um, his previous order not being able to be rescinded because whatever the king says is, is the rule. He spoke in truth. The third, they have the right to plunder the property of their enemies, so they can they can defend, they can attack those who would destroy their women and children, and they can plunder the property of their enemies. Uh, the the day appointed to the Jews to do this in all the provinces was here. It is again the thirteenth day of the twelfth month, the month of Adar. That's the same day and month that the king had made his first edict about right Haman, destruction of the Jews. Here's the point of this: we need to be ready for our day of battle. So you can read this text and you say, hey, it's over, God's done it, the king made a rule, that's it, but that's not what happens. He's like, get ready, there's a fight coming, and you're in the fight. This is that funny thing about, do we trust God in everything? Yes. But do we participate with God in everything? Yes. We do both those things, right? We don't just sit back and say, Jesus, take the wheel, but we also don't try to wrestle the wheel away from Jesus. We are with him in this life. The king's edict names the day of battle. There is a day coming where you will fight for your life. I've given you the right to fight, and you can fight. And so this is the big setup for next week, right? That there's a day coming that the Jews will have to face their enemies. They are not the hook, but they'll have to be ready for a battle. And this is that 13th day of the 12th month, the month of Adar. So in thinking about this text, two questions I have at the end here is this. For you, what is God doing in your life right now that causes you to stop and say, why is this happening? I would ask that because I think there's great power in that moment. If you're a believer in God, there's a great power to say, why, Lord? What is going on? and not in a despondent, faithless method, method but rather in the a, in a, in a, in a attitude of one who knows that you belong to him, that he's not doing things to harm you, that he's calling you to freedom and good, then why, what is going on in my life right now? Why is this happening? And then secondly, who, what, or who are you counting on in your day of battle? in the day that the war will be waged against us. See, this is where the whole thing shifts a bit because as much as the king's arcs, is like, hey, you gotta fight for yourself. That's not what Jesus came to do. Earlier, I said, when Mordecai was hung on that pole, it said the king's wrath subsided. We come back to that. Jesus came to earth, born, of God, born of man, lived the perfect life, right? Did miracles, the people follow him? What do you want from me? Heal me, what do you want from me? Help me to see, what do you want me? Feed me, right? And he says things like this, I am the bread of life. The difference is this, that in Jesus, he gave himself that we might be free. Ooh. He gave himself that the king's wrath might subside on a pole created for God's enemies. See, that's wild. That's radical. And, and here's the thing, he does it and then he invites us to a banquet afterwards. He's not like banquet first and then it's gonna be bad news. It's like the bad news is it's good news and the good news is there's a banquet if you would only become, come, come with me to the table and eat. Uh, Pray with me if you would. Father God, I thank you so much for your word and the power that it extols in our life that it imparts to us. I pray a prayer of thanks for your grace and your mercy upon us. I pray, Father, that we might take a lead from Esther here and be discerning of our moments and recognize your goodness in the most difficult situations I pray Father God for continued uh, presence in our life and that we might be found faithful in you and ultimately father that no matter what we're going through that we would know and believe that you're in it and we would seek your wisdom in those places help us to not you know respond like the world does and and fear but respond knowing your love would you uh, help us to heal from harms we've been through father I, I, my prayer today is that it would not be some kind of, but it, not man-made wisdom, I prayed earlier, Father, but it would be your Holy Spirit and your word, rightly understood, that would free us from the burden of sin and death. That would forgive us for all trespasses and it would cause us to be a forgiving people. And then, Father, as you do that work that only you can do, I pray that we would be found amongst your community of faith, praising you and spreading this good news. Would you um, be with us? As we gather together today uh, to worship the great gift you've given us in Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.